It's episode 57 today and I'm talking with Roxanne Battle. Roxanne was a TV journalist for over 20 years. If you're from the Minnesota region, you will probably recognize her, having been on KARE for most of her career. In this episode, we're talking about how even though a life can look beautiful on the outside and glossy, that behind the scenes, people who appear to have it all can still be going through some major heartache. We all face painful times. And how do we pull ourselves back together and keep moving forward? Roxanne recently wrote a book called Pockets of Joy. And today we're talking a little bit more about how she found those pockets in her own life, how she maintained an optimistic attitude, and ultimately how happiness can be found through that hope. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Roxanne, I want to know about your backstory. Can you tell us about your history before becoming an author? And did you grow up in Minnesota? I did. I grew up, I was born and raised uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I went to the University of Minnesota where I got uh, undergrad in journalism. And uh, I started a career uh, in, in television news that led to graduate school at the University of Missouri, Columbia, where I was also on the air at the same time as a news reporter. And I, I uh, reported at KOMU in Missouri, and then I got a job six weeks before I graduated in um, the WJXT in Jacksonville, Florida. Then I got another job at WDAF in Kansas City, Missouri. And I was there all of 11 months when the NBC station in Minneapolis, KARE, called and said, Hey, Roxanne, do you want to come home? And then I started my job uh, as a a news reporter. I worked my way up as weekend anchor. And then I eventually ended up hosting a daytime show called Carol Evan Today, which was like the local version of the NBC Today show. And I did that until I uh, ended up leaving television. You talk about in your book, Pockets of Joy, Mm -hmm. how as a little girl, you wanted to be a TV news presenter. So you had this dream and this vision. When I was 11 years old, I saw Barbara Walters interviewing someone on television and it stopped me in my tracks. And I, it was like the universe was speaking to me. That's what you're going to do. And that's what I wanted to do because I was fascinated at the concept that I could ask questions and someone would answer back, really, and tell me what I needed to know. I, I, you know, this insatiable curiosity, I think, that I was born with, coupled with this ability to write, which just made it a natural that this is the career I wanted to pursue. So, you know, my mom sent me to creative writing classes right away. I started wearing little suits and people started calling me <laughs> this, you know, the little businesswoman. It was just, you know, I was very blessed to be able to figure out what I wanted to do from a very young age. And, it, and even to this day, decades later, Kate, it has always come back to the writing 
you know, writing Pockets of Joy was just a natural extension of my love for journalism and curiosity and, and putting words on, on paper or whatever. You're an 11 year old kid and you say to your mama, I want to be a news reporter. So does your mum immediately jump on board or did she give you the, well, that's a big dream speech? What was the take? Because realistically, not everyone gets to grow up and get such yeah. a coveted job. And yeah. it can be probably scary to, to contemplate the big dreams of someone so little. I think that what my mother recognized, God bless her, and she's still with me. She's 80 years old and still my biggest fan. Her grandmother had a gift for writing. And so she my mother recognized that gift in me as well at a very mm -hmm. young age. And so what she did through my schoolwork and so forth. So she immediately sent me to summer school, to creative writing classes, to further develop that gift of writing. And she was supportive of that. You know, along the way, I did theater arts because at one point I really was interested in, in stage work. And I've sort of circled back around to that. But the combination of theater arts and writing was just a given to do media, to do television, because I was comfortable being in front of people and I could write. And it was just, you know, and it's interesting when I went to the University of Minnesota to pursue my journalism degree, I started writing at the, for the newspaper because I love to write. But the first story I wrote was so bad for the Minnesota Daily that A, they didn't publish it. And B, <laughs> and B they said, I think you need to go upstairs and see those people in broadcast news. And so that's that was sort of the circuitous route that my journalism career took. I wanted to be a newspaper writer, but they thought I'd do better on TV. And it turned out to be the case. I love it. But I, I love the message that, you know, you had that mother who supported your big dreams. And I think it's something that we can all do as parents. Just if our kids have yeah. big dreams, look for ways that we can support them. In the first couple chapters of uh, the first chapter of Pockets of Joy, I talk a little bit about my family and I, it was, that was kind of difficult figuring out what to leave in and what not to talk about. But what I wanted to show readers is the foundation that I came from, you know, that my dad who had just an incredibly hard work ethic and, you know, all the obstacles that he and his family went through to, to make a better life, moving from the South to the North and working a couple jobs to take care of five kids, you know, and, and they never let us believe that we couldn't. They always, my mom and dad always instilled in us that we could, despite, you know, you know, the racial overtones of the time, despite not looking like people who look like us in our neighborhood, you know, whatever the obstacle was, my parents always told us that we, if we worked hard and applied ourselves, we could overcome, we could achieve. And, and I tried to sort of paint that picture of my upbringing in the first chapter of the book because it lays a foundation for the whole theme of perseverance through challenging times, which is really the theme of Pockets of Joy. Yeah, bad stuff is going to happen to everybody. The only constant is change, but we can persevere and we can find the joy. And um, that's just something that my parents instilled in me. God bless them. 80 and 81 to this day, right? That there's something that they instilled in me from a very young age. 
Oh, it's just beautiful. That that one gives me tingles because I think that, like you said, that's where it started, that belief in perseverance. It's like, it's yeah, it's almost like they really it imbued in my DNA. They just, they would not let me quit. They just wouldn't. Oh. Then you go on to have this incredibly successful and high-profile career in television. Mm-hmm. So basically life looks picture perfect, but behind the scenes, it was feeling anything but, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about what was going on behind the scenes when the camera it's, turned off? Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that was really another motivation to writing the book. And and the comments that I have gotten are, my goodness, Roxanne, you really bared your soul. I mean, you were really sort of candid and you really put yourself out there. And I did because, one, you can't reach people unless you're authentic. And there's actually a chapter in the book titled Authenticity. And so... Kate, I wanted to use my platform as a television news anchor to say that you see the people on TV and their, you know, expensive haircuts and suits and pretty makeup, you know, and they're interviewing wonderful people and it looks like they have a wonderful life. It looks like they got a perfect life and I, I didn't. Um, and I wanted to let people know that even the people who seem to be wildly successful have challenges. And so with me, I had grabbed the brass ring. You know, I had landed a TV job back home in my hometown, which was my number one goal. I had done it. I was newly married. My husband and I were building a beautiful home in the suburbs. And, you know, and and I had a a darling 11-month-old baby. And it seemed that, you know, everything had come together. There was money in the bank account. A nanny showed up every day. We were working jobs and everything was great. And for reasons that I do not discuss in the book, because that's not the focus of the book, my marriage fell apart. And so now I'm a single divorce mom on TV every day at five o'clock, putting my life together, raising a new uh, 11 month old baby. And how do you do that? How do you put it all back together when it's falling apart and be on TV every day? By looking for the joy, mm. I, by looking for those, those, as I call them, pockets of joy, those fleeting moments where you feel like everything is going to be okay. And so that's where this whole theme of perseverance came in, that even though this was extremely difficult for me, putting my life back together and having to smile on the camera every night and learning how to be a new mom, I didn't want that situation I didn't want to succumb to that situation. I didn't want it to get the best of me. And so really I I was fighting for my own dignity, you know, just to to really try to put my life back together in a dignified way and um, find the joy, not succumb to depression or hatred or anger or bitterness, not to let the situation consume me, but to come out of it better. And so I focused on my faith. And I found joy in the process. I, you mentioned in the book about there were those times that you really did feel that sadness and that depression. Yeah. So how did you go about finding these pockets? Was it like just this, this insight that came to you? Did it happen naturally? How did this occur? I've gotten that question, like, were you before, Roxanne, were you conscious of the fact that this was, was this some sort of strategy or philosophy? Were you conscious of the fact that you were sort of trying to 
find joy in this these pockets of joy. And as I said in the in the earlier parts of the book, I'm naturally optimistic person. And so I think it was Kate, I think it was sort of innate. I'm going to find the silver ring around this cloud. I'm going to look at this glass as half full rather than half empty. And so I was always trying to gravitate to well, what's good. What's good in my life? What is working? Instead of focusing on what wasn't working, what's working? Because I found the more I did that, the more I, it helped me progress towards the light, <laughs> towards positive and, and less depression. You know, if you, the mind is very powerful. And if you stay in a pit, you know, it's just this downward spiral. And I just, I just wanted to be happy. I wanted to be whole. I wanted to focus on what was positive. And so I, that's what I gravitated for, towards. And it worked. I mean, at one of the lowest points during my single parenting journey, divorced single mom, one of the lowest points I was, I found myself and I talk about it in the book. I just didn't have a lot of money. People think what you're on TV. Don't you have lots of money? Yeah. But you also have attorney's fees when you're going through divorce and you have daycare fees and you've got all these other things that add up in the course of your life. And so I was between paydays and I didn't have any money to feed my little boy. All I had was enough for a chicken McNugget dinner for him. Mm. And so I write the story and I cried tears when I wrote this. And, and because I, I, that was my lowest point that all I could do was feed my baby. But the thing about it is, is that when he was done eating, he was only like two years old. And I picked him up from the table and set him in and put a movie in. And I went back to the table and he had left like a handful of fries and like a nugget on the plate. I thought, Oh, I get to eat. And that was my dinner. And so rather than think about shucks, all I got is a nugget and fries for dinner. I thought, hey, I have a nugget and fries for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very different energy though, right? Yes. Rather than going, woe is me, you went, wow, yeah. this is a blessing. I still yes. have a nugget and fries for dinner. And you can live to see another day. Every day that I hit the floor was another opportunity to make it better. I think that sums up my, my, my thought process during that time, Kate, that every day was another chance to make it better, that I could progress, make progress towards happiness. So you could take another step in the right direction. I could take another step in the right direction. I could begin to spiral upward instead of downward with each new day. I hear you. I talk a lot about that energy and that spiral, actually, in my coaching work. I, I totally agree with that. One of the things that when you talk about your divorce and, you know, your son's 11 months old, I'm assuming that this is not something you would ever plan for. You know, this is not something that you were expecting to encounter on your journey. How did you relax into accepting that, accepting that change that you never planned for, you didn't ask for, you didn't want? How did you learn to accept that? Um, by not putting energy into um, being angry and bitter, um, but putting my energy into, okay, this happened, how are we going to move forward? All the energy that I, I was going to put into the negative emotions, I shifted towards positive emotions. How can I move forward now? This happened, accept it. 
don't seek, you know, don't be vengeful or bitter. How can I make the best out of this bad thing? And the answer for me was, well, okay, the marriage didn't work, but you still have this darling little boy. And so can the two of us come together, my ex-husband and I, in the name of this child and do our absolute best job raising him? And for me, I was willing to do that. And thankfully, so was he. And so we made a decision, even though the marriage had failed, we made a decision to be co-parents, amicable co-parents, and to communicate in, in a civil way in the best interest of our son. And it worked. You talk about that in the book, about how your ex-husband was a good father. I could say, I say in the book, I could set my watch to when the child support payments arrived. And after a while, you know, we had this visitation schedule that became obsolete because he was such a great dad. I allowed him to see his son whenever he wanted. And, you know, we got along so well as parents that people said, well, why, why aren't you still married then? You know, and and that's kind of between us, but Throughout the book, you meet Jared when I like he's in Lamaze class, my son. I'm wearing Lamaze class. The book kind of starts in Lamaze class and it ends on Jared's graduation day from college. And the consistent factor through all of that was his dad. His dad was there every step of the way through all the little league, I mean, like the basketball games and parent teacher conferences and, um, Band concerts, you know, the zoo on Friday, Saturdays, rather. He took Jared on trips. Um, His dad was there every step of the way. And I'm very proud. Both of us are very proud of this. Pockets of Joy would not exist if he and I had not learned how to be amicable co-parents. He gave his blessing for the book. And I remember when I called him and I said, you know, I wrote a book about, you know, us, you know, raising our son together, even though we were divorced. And I, I'd like your blessing on this. And he was like, I always, he said to me, I always thought you should do that, Roxanne. I always thought you should write a book about those years, you know, because he recognized what we had done. So often when people split, there's this acrimony. And we tried very, very hard to try to get along in the name of our son. And, and it worked. I was going to say, do you feel like that was in part what you brought to the table? And like, I I can imagine there's a lot of women out there listening right now who are saying, I'm divorced. You know, I have someone I'm trying to co-parent with, but they're a disaster. And Mm -hmm. do you feel like, and obviously they can't control the co-parent. Do you feel like the energy you brought to the table, the intention you brought to the table really helped form that kind of situation with your ex-husband? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. There can, you know, there can be really no sort of, that relationship would not have occurred without forgiveness on both of our parts. That's the very first step is to forgive yourself and to forgive each other and to move past the hurt in the name of the greater good. And there's a chapter in the last part of the book that talks about forgiveness And then there's also a chapter that talks about yielding, about who's going to get their way. 
And is it always important that you have to be right all the time? Sometimes we're afraid of being right because it makes us feel weak or it makes us feel that we're being taken advantage of, as does forgiving somebody because it seems like, well, they're getting away with what they did. And that's just not the case at all. When you let go of those negative emotions, you free yourself up for positive things to occur in your life. And so absolutely, the fact that I wanted to move towards joy, that I wanted to move towards a positive direction, absolutely facilitated this amicable relationship that I had with my ex-husband while we were raising our son. I just did a book signing last weekend and somebody asked me, they said, well, what if the person, you know, you just has got lots of issues, you know, what if they not, they're not willing to be positive and, you know, and you're right, Kate, you can't change people. And I, there's a chapter in the book when I talk about positive connections, you know, and you have to facilitate positive connections in your life and avoid toxic people. And you can't necessarily change a toxic person, but you can change your perspective of that person, you know, and not let them drag you into a negative situation. And it takes some maneuvering. Now, I was thankful that my ex-husband was pretty rational when it came to our son. And so forging a positive relationship with him was, was possible. I like the way you said that part of it, though, was about letting go of those negative emotions so that you could have room for the positive emotions. So you could have room for a beautiful future because as long as you were letting go, I mean, as long as you were holding on to that negativity, you wouldn't have had enough space to look forward and create the positive. That's And so not only letting go of the negative emotions that you're projecting towards someone else, but you also, even more importantly, Kate, you have to let go of the negative emotions you're projecting onto yourself. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. You know, I, I just, I really messed up, you know, oh my gosh, look what I did. And so we beat ourselves up over and over and over again about past mistakes. And as I say in the book, you gotta let that go. It's over. I mean, you just keep playing that loop over, and over in your mind. You know, I was reading somewhere that most of the time you, when we have a, something negative happen, it takes about 20 minutes to process that negative emotion and then we can begin to let it go. But We keep playing that loop over and over again and reliving it. And all we're doing is beating ourselves down. Let it go. It's over. Once it's done and you've made amends for it, let it go. It's over. And you will find so much freedom and lightness and life and love in letting go of that negativity. Yeah. So self-forgiveness is a crucial part of it too. Huge, huge. Oh, so what I did love about your book is I feel like it was full of the most beautiful one-liners. So many, well, so you. many quotables, or as Oprah would say, tweetables. <laughs> oh my gosh. One of them was joy precepts are perseverance, gratitude, and intentionality. Well, those yeah. are three words that I just, oh my gosh, I love them. I knew there was a reason I liked you. So can we talk about what those three awesome power pieces mean to you? Perseverance, yeah. gratitude, and intentionality. Uh, perseverance, we only fail when we give up. And as I said earlier, each new day is another opportunity to look for and find the joy in life. It could always be worse. As I, I just feel as long as I'm alive, as long as I'm a living, breathing human being, I have an opportunity to find joy. I have an opportunity to right wrongs. I have opportunity to make my life better but that requires perseverance and the belief that I can. 
and, and, and resisting the temptation to give up. And I use the monarch butterfly, which is on the cover of the book, as a symbol of perseverance. So when you see how it overwinters in Mexico and then comes back here to the state of Minnesota and I mean, this tiny little creature, which, in, which is you know imbued with so much DNA and GPS, and if the butterfly gave up, it's, it would cease to be. And so I use that as a metaphor for our perseverance is key. And then gratitude. Gratitude is a precept of joy. There can be no joy without being grateful. Grateful for just the little, littlest things. I mean, you know, people have talked about how just thinking about being grateful changes the, the brain waves in your, in your mind and you start to feel better. That's why people keep gratitude journals because it actually makes them feel better and it changes our perception on life. When you look for things to be grateful for, which is the intentionality piece, intentionally looking for things to be grateful for produces joy. And so joy is all around us everywhere. It's sunrises, sunsets, an ocean breeze, the sound of the, you know, your puppy on your morning walk, the little baby you have, no matter what sort of problems or situations occur. And I'm not saying that life doesn't present problems, it does, which is all the more reason why we have to look for the good in life. And when you look for it, you find it because that's how God designed it. I mean, this world has so many beautiful things for us to enjoy that we have to be intentional about looking for them and celebrating them. And that produces joy. Oh, such a good summary. I love, I loved that. I'm going to have to re-listen to it. Well, next big concept I want to talk to you about is authenticity, and you have a whole chapter dedicated to this in mm. your book. What does authenticity mean to you? Being who you are. There's so much pressure to fit into a mold, to do what other people want us to do, to live up to a certain projection or perception. And Authenticity is being who you were born to be. Um, I quote um, the book uh, Soul Signature, Discovering Your Soul Signature in my book, you know, talking about we all have a soul signature. We all have something that we're destined to become and being real enough with yourself to say this is who I am. And the real root of authenticity is allowing yourself to be honest with you. You know, who am I? What do I like to do? What makes my heart sing? And then I'll giving yourself permission to move in the direction to the answers to those questions, because that's where you're going to find the joy. The greatest gift on earth is being able to be who you are, not some Hollywood concept of beauty, not some preconceived notion of what success looks like. But being who you are from the inside out, that to me is authenticity. Oh, so good. So good. Can you tell me about times when you've really had to go inside and make decisions that were right for your soul rather than look to the outside world? Because I feel like you're a good person to talk to about this because for you know, your entire career, you were in the public spotlight. So mm -hmm. I can only imagine that the glare from the outside world, the opinions, they're stronger, they're bolder, they're more magnified. You're in the newspaper. 
Can you talk yeah. to us about a time when you had to go inside and make decisions that were right for you, which in the court of public opinion, I know there was some times there was some gossip about you and things. Yeah. Can you tell yeah. me about how that felt? Yeah. You know, um, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that was, there was just, there was one critical juncture, probably one of the most difficult decisions of my life where I, um, as I said earlier, I come back to Minneapolis after studying and working in small markets and TV and I'd come back to Minneapolis and landed my dream job, um, as a weekend, uh, I mean, as a, as a news reporter. And, um, at that time I was just a news reporter reporting on the news. And then I got an opportunity to move out of town and be the main anchor on a news show, which was like, wow. Right. And I mean, that was like everything you had been working for. And, but I turned the job down because it would have taken my son away from his dad. And so, um, I was laughed at Hmm. by that because of that decision that, and people, the, the pressure was like, what, you're not taking your career seriously. This is the next rung. This is the next progression. This is what you've been working for. And you turned it down. And so people started, started, didn't take me very seriously, but in my soul, Kate, I knew it was the right decision. I knew that I was doing what was right for that little boy by not taking him away from his dad. And so I stayed uh, in Minneapolis instead of moving out of town. My son and his father continued their very close relationship. I continued working at the television station. I got written up in the gossip columnist, uh, you know, a column about, you know, what I was doing. And then lo and behold, the universe aligns and I get offered the weekend anchor job here in Minneapolis that paid me the exact same salary that I would have made if I had moved out of town and taken the main anchor job. And so for me, that was a huge pocket of joy because that was telling me that God was sort of smiling on me and that I'd made the right decision. Um, And I could have never predicted it would have turned out that way. But at the point of our, my divorce, and I made the decision that I was going to do the best by my little boy, despite the fact that the marriage had failed, I was going to do the best to try to get along with his dad and make decisions in the name of trying to do our absolute best job in raising a child. And so that's when I say about authenticity, what means the most to you, what meant the most to me was doing the absolute best job I could as a mom. And so that meant at that time, staying in Minneapolis. Now, some would have argued that I could have used the money and that maybe that job would have turned into a bigger job, blah, 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 blah. Who knows? Maybe. But at that point in time, I knew in my heart that that was a decision for me to make, to stay put, keep my son in proximity with his dad and work that little job that ended up turning into being something more than I could have ever imagined. I like the way, though, that is just the perfect example of having to put your ego aside. Because oh, if you yeah. were chasing your ego rather yeah. than that, that whisper from your soul, if you'd been chasing your ego, you would have taken the more glorious job, the more I, glamorous job. I absolutely would have, Kate, and I love the way that you put that. And I was it easy? Absolutely not. That was a very hard decision to make. And, I, and the pub, public backlash, you know, of being in the public eye like that, you know, and making a decision like that was very unpopular. But it goes back to some of the themes that I'm talking about in the book, you know, particularly with authenticity. And that is knowing who you are from the inside out. And as you said, listening to the whispers of your soul, because that's the only way you're going to find joy. 
at the end of the day, those jobs go away, but my family is always going to be there. And that's what I made a decision in the name of is my little boy. I knew he would always be my little boy or my son, my child, my family, but those jobs, they could come and they could go. And so, yeah, while it was a really hard decision, there's some ridicule as a result of it. Looking back now, all the decisions that I made, I wouldn't change a thing. Mm. What I'm hearing is it was, you stayed grounded, right? You stayed connected to what mattered. You weren't blown off course by something that was attractive yet potentially fleeting. And another thing, Kate, I was, there's another thing that motivated me and that was love. I absolutely loved being a mom. I loved it. I loved making cookies and tucking them in at night and going to school events and uh, sitting at the dinner table with going to the park. I loved being a mom. And that, and I listened again, that's what my, the whispers of my soul. And so for me, my family came first. I love the way, because I know that you won't be the only woman who has ever felt this way or does feel this way now, potentially, where there are those hard decisions to make around balancing our lives. Yeah. But what I'm hearing from you is you don't regret a thing. You made the decisions that, that were right for you. For right for me. That was, it might not be right for everybody. Um, some people's souls are whispering to them that, that, uh, perhaps that, you know, their career making a difference in the world and their given field or whatever they're doing is what makes your heart sing. And I'm not cast no aspersions or judgments on that whatsoever. This is my story, my decision for my life. And this is what worked for me, but whether, whatever the decision is, the commonality is this being true to who you are from the inside out and moving your life in a direction towards the things that bring you joy. And that's being authentic with yourself and staying, standing firm during the course of your life in those decisions, despite the blow to your ego, despite, you know, the unpopular nature of your decisions, but being true to who you are is a message that I just keep sort of hearkening back to in pockets of joy. I just love the way that you tie that to the joy, though. Follow what brings you joy because that is living authentically. That right. is living right. in, li- in alignment with your own soul. Yeah, you know, it, what's the saying somebody said, follow your bliss, right? You know, that's what I'm saying. Mm. So this really nicely leads into the story of kind of faith and what believing in something bigger than yourself has has yeah. meant to you along your journey too. Can you talk us through how your own drive, yet also trusting in something bigger for you that's God, has helped in your journey and how the two have coexisted in your life to create the beauty that you now feel? Yeah. yeah. I am I, I am in a really great place of peace and joy right now. I mean, um, I don't have a perfect life, but I have a peaceful life and I have a joyful life there. The good times definitely outweigh the bad. So, and I think that is a result of my decisions. I get a little emotional when you ask me about my faith and how it's got in my life, because there are forces at play that are beyond me. And there's a loving grace. When you open yourself up to God, you see his goodness and his mercy. 
Um, there was just things that happened to me as a result of me trying so hard to stay the course that I know it just had to be God. It just had to be. the, And God is the wisdom to make the right decision. God is the trusting that everything is going to be OK. God is the outward optimism that drives you to see another day, to try one more time. You know, God is the perseverance that doesn't allow you to give up. No, it's not going to be easy, but there's just a certain trust and a knowing and a competence and a hope. If anything, it's just a hope that things are going to work out in the end. And that's what my faith has instilled in me from the time I was very, very young. I write about how uh, in the beginning chapter of the book, how I really believed in God and was born into a faith-filled family from a very young age to, to today, where my belief and my hope in, a, in, a, in another day has, is what God has guided me. And through all of the decisions that I made, and I'm just above anything else, I'm grateful for wisdom the wisdom and the presence of mind to make decisions that will lead towards joy. And my faith, my belief in God has helped me do that. Do you feel like your faith, your belief in God has been like that guiding light that when you weren't sure which way to go, that's what you could face towards? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm afraid, not afraid, but I don't want to know what life would be like without the belief in a greater force, without the belief in something bigger than me, because sometimes that's all I had to sustain me. Mm. You know, I'm just a small speck in this massive universe, you know, and um, that belief in something greater and bigger and more powerful that I am not a man unto myself, a woman unto myself that there's a force that is guiding my life, that there's a destiny for my life, you know, and I'm and a pull from the inside out towards what it is I'm supposed to be doing in this life. Without that belief, I don't know that life has much meaning. Mm, I agree. I think that, you know, having a belief in something bigger than myself is something that certainly helps me feel stronger. It gave me great strength and great hope when I didn't feel so, you know, hopeful. Um, so, you know, um, that's why I call the book pockets of joy, because, you know, in the midst of the storms, when the winds blow, you know, that that's the belief that the joy is right around the corner is what sustains you, mm -hmm. um, that joy can be found if we look for it. Oh. well, I'm going to move into an intermission set of questions. Roxanne, that I kind of ground each interview with. I ask everybody I speak to these little sets of questions. So it's your turn. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> Are you a morning person or a night person, Roxanne? <laughs> Kate, I'm both. How I'm can you be both? Do you not sleep? <laughs> I, 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 here's, it all depends on what mode I'm in. I absolutely love the mornings. You know, the dew is still on the grass and the, the sun is coming up and everything is fresh and pristine. I love the mornings. It's one of the most peaceful, serene, spirit-filled times of the day. And I like to see that. 
So I love the morning. However, when I'm in project mode, when I'm writing or creating or, you know, deep in project mode, it's those wee, wee, wee hours of the morning, like into the one and two o'clock in the morning that I'm the most creative and productive. So it all depends on what season of life I'm in right now. Oh, so I, like, I like that. You're a night owl when you have to get the project I, work done. Yes. Yes. What's currently sitting on your nightstand? Can you remember? An aromatherapy candle. Oh, what flavor? Eucalyptus. Oh, yum. That's Australian. I'm, you know, that's right. That's like my cousin country. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite self-care activity? I know it's another theme for you that has always come through your life. Self-care. Uh, long, luxurious, candlelit aromatherapy bubble baths. Oh, I can picture it. I can. I will. I will sit in the tub for two hours until I'm a prune. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Your favorite self care activity is turning into a prune. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a favorite book, Roxanne? Is there one you've read, or it doesn't have to be a favorite, but one that you've read that really made a difference for you? Well, I'm looking at it's on my mantle, and it's Maria Schreiber's just. Who will you be? Um, I haven't read it. I'm going to have to go and get this. It's a tiny little 100 page book, but you know, she talks about how success and fame don't, can't make you happy. That happiness is an inside job. And, uh, I kind of, kind of tuck that away and carry that with me. Can you remember a time when you felt like you took the long route in life and what were you learning along that journey? I think walking away from a, my my television career was certainly the long route. Uh, I chose to leave, um, and that journey was scary, but it taught me a lot about myself, and it's been very rewarding because I've self-actualized. I, I know who I am, and what the long route showed me was – my true gifts, talents, and abilities. It showed me who I am from the inside out, that, you know, I could work for a television station or whatever, but I'm still a writer. I'm still a creative. I can still produce irrespective of the call letters that are attached to my name. And by taking the long route, it was a magnificent and still is a magnificent process of self-discovery. And I I learned to like who I am. I'm comfortable Mm. now in my own skin I'm, I'm comfortable walking into a room, not representing, you know, some corporation, but walking to a room and saying, this is me. This is who I am. And taking the long way around helped me do that. Do you feel like stepping away from that television career almost allowed you to break through your own glass ceiling, if you like? It allowed you to go those those levels higher with your own development I wouldn't be talking to you if I hadn't walked away from my television career. I wouldn't have written a book called Pockets of Joy if I hadn't walked away from my television career. Absolutely. It opened up a whole brand new journey for me that I'm absolutely reveling in and loving. I'm free, Kate. I'm free. Walking away, taking the long way helped me discover my life and me. I'm free. Mm, I'm sure that being in television for that long, you know, there must it would be hard not to identify with I am Roxanne, the TV presenter. Yes. 
I'm Roxanne, the TV presenter. That's how people related to me. And when I walked away, there were these awkward moments. People didn't know what to say to me because I never, I no longer was that person. And so again, it, for me, it shifted the focus instead of outward, this glossy personality, the shift was now inward. Who am I? And what was wonderful in the process of self-discovery is, Roxanne, you can still write. That same little girl who was going to summer writing classes when she was 11 years old, you're still that same person. You're still a creative. You can lose a title, but who you are innately, your gifts, talents, and abilities, that will never change. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to, what are you going to discover now? How, what are you going to, what direction are you going to move into? And by asking myself those questions, I have realized another lifelong dream. I've, sl- you know, ticked something off of my bucket list and that's writing a book. I love that. I love what you just said then. I just think there was so much wisdom in there that you can lose a title, but you can never lose your innate talents, strengths, and abilities. So what are you going to do about it? Take love that. Long- Taking the long way is what that showed me, that taught me that. That's what I discovered, taking the long way. I like that. That was a tweetable. All right. (laughs) So what is one thing in your day that you can't do without? Tea. Oh, what kind of tea do you like? Like English tea, herbal tea? Well, I continue because (laughs) there's shelves and shelves of tea. There's packets of tea. I, I had a, I was fortunate enough to go to London and I went down to, I went to Harrods and I, I'm tins and tins of tea from Harrods. And there's, there's ginger tea, there's black tea, there's Ceylon tea, there's turmeric tea, there's herbal tea. There's, there's just tea for days. I love it. This is a legitimate <laughs> hobby. I might have to come over for a cup of tea, Roxanne. Love it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> we, and, oh, and I, I collect the teacups to go with the tea. I'm a tea fanatic. Actually. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay. Now the the bigger question, how would you describe the soul? How would I describe? The soul. The soul. The soul. How would I describe the soul? Endless, boundless, infinite, filled with possibility. If you just open up your soul and allow the light to come in. Oh, all right. I like it's it's good. Do you like that? I need my cup of tea now to just you know sit with for a moment. Oh, okay. I want to come back to another quote as we start to wrap up the interview that you had in your book. That another okay. one that really stood out to me. And you said, "It's not life that fails to produce joy; it's we who fail to recognize it." That's exactly right. Oh my gosh! Like seriously, this this. This interview is a, a tweet a tweet a moment. All right. Can you talk us through how we can start finding the joy in our own lives? How we can start being intentional around joy? Gratitude. One thing each day, what are you grateful for? For me, it's that I woke up. I created a gratitude uh, joy journal where you can write down joy, but being grateful for even the smallest things. Oh, look, the tea, my being grateful for my cup of tea in the morning. Being grateful that the rain stopped, being grateful that, you know, a friend called, you know, being grateful that you're alive, just being grateful is, is one thing. And, and then, and looking for it, looking to put the phone down, put it down, get away from the screen and talk to the people that are in your life, engage in meaningful conversations, listen to one another, 
and treat yourself well. You know, have that cup of tea, take that bubble bath, go for a walk, carve out 15 minutes for yourself, take a nap. There's just so many little itty bitty things in life, pockets of joy, that if you string them together can create a life of joy. On the, despite the, the winds that blow, despite the bad times, you'll have these moments of life, of joy throughout your life if you just look for them. So good. So good. You also have a little giveaway for us, Roxanne. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Pockets of Joy, Deciding to Be Happy, Choosing to Be Free um, is my book. And that just released and doing a book signing at Barnes and Noble on the 16th of um, September at the Roseville Harmar store. I'm also going to be giving away right now a copy of that book and a copy of the hardcover companion Pockets of Joy journal to the first listener who emails me at my website, roxannebattle.com, and that's Roxanne with a singular N. The first person that sends me their email address, I will mail you a copy of both the book and the journal. Oh, I mean, that is just so awesome. I'm tempted to be the first person to email, but I won't do that, people. I won't. I won't. Um, but I will, I will put Roxanne's details in the show notes so that you can get to them quickly. And Kate, I just, I just want to say one last thing. You know, I, I write about it, the book about how, you know, I'm eternally an, op, I'm an eternal optimist. You know, I used to annoy people. I say that on my Twitter uh, bio, you know, annoyingly and contagiously optimistic. But I just, just if there's one thing left that I, for me to do in this life, it, it is to help people find joy, to in some small way, you know, ease emotional suffering through my journey, through what I've learned, through the research I've done on the science of happiness. I just really feel so compelled. I think that this is what I'm, all my collective experience in life, from being a TV presenter to being a mom, to the trials I've had in, in relationships to becoming a book author have all added up to this one moment to help others find joy. Roxanne, this has been such a joy for me. I've had so much fun. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm really glad. And I thank you, Kate, for your graciousness and letting me be on your podcast. And, and I'm looking forward to having that cup of tea and connecting with you again. So I guess I'm going to have to be giving Roxanne another call and knocking on her door and getting my cup of tea, I'm thinking. Now, Roxanne's book that we mentioned throughout the podcast is called Pockets of Joy. It's a beautiful, bright yellow cover. It's just inspiring to look at. You'll be able to find that wherever good books are sold. Check out online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. She also mentioned that book giveaway. So head over to her website, roxannebattle.com, with just the one in, and you will find details on how to contact her there. Finally, if you're in Minnesota and you're listening to this on Friday the 14th on release day, she has a book signing tomorrow, Saturday the 15th of September at Barnes & Noble in Roseville. This week, try and look for those pockets. Try and catch those fleeting moments of joy and hold on to them. Hold on to the hope and I'll see you again next week. Till then, keep thriving. Keep thriving.